0: Hey, thank you guys for the privilege to be back. I've already uh, done this once this morning, so for y'all who are all new uh, since the old days, uh, I'm going to reminisce a little bit, but I'll try to be uh, more brief uh, in that than I was the first service, because I got all emotional and excited about it and stuff like that. I started telling stories. It's really what I started. So, but, but for y'all who are from the old school, i got to bring you back a little bit just to 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 give context so back then there was the pickle and the silver eagle there you go for some those were two buses that we had here Um, there was also uh, what we called the dream team staff uh, which was kind of funny because yesterday as I was talking to uh, y'all's pastor John Spencer my very last day here was his family's first day here and that's, that's the service they came to. What a downer, and you still stayed. I love it. It's <laughs> a way to go. So it's been a while. Uh, 96 is when I left here, the summer of 96. Uh, I was telling the story in the earlier service. The significance that you guys played in my life and, and the privilege that Michael uh, did for me is I was here for two days, had traveled here and gotten here two days, and my dad passed away. And so this church was significant to me in many ways because you guys loved on me, cared for me, uh, really helped me grow up. My dad was gone and all of a sudden uh, I was left uh, with a void of the most incredible uh, godly man in my life to um, being 14 hours away from any of my family and you guys became my family. And I also went from a very lean uh, old college athlete to really enjoying southern food here, (laughs) which John already helped me experience yesterday. Thank you very much, Riverfront Barbecue, a little plug there. Uh, also, Stephen extended that last night. Thank you Stephen and his family because we had a little moon harvest. They didn't pay me to say that. Bo Henry talk to me later. We'll have a good talk about that. I love coming to South Georgia though my weight does not. So, let me tell you a little bit about the staff at that point. The staff was interesting because Michael had only been here six months And he called three new staff members, and I was one of those staff members. The first one was Danny Baxter. Uh, Danny was the worship leader. I was kidding earlier with Mark that I don't think Danny could play an instrument, but he was really good at directing people and telling them what to do. And he started recruiting. In those days, he started recruiting in July, and that was my first year to come here, and the first point was... Actually, starting in July, and he started recruiting me. He started recruiting in July for the Easter service because then we would do a whole Easter program, and he needed Jesus and he needed soldiers that had beards. So he would recruit in July so that people could start growing out their beards to look real and official uh, during the daytime. He was an incredible guy. Then we had what we called Rob Davis, and Rob was here. Uh, You guys are obviously familiar with Pastor Kat's preaching. He's a prophet. He tells it like it is. There's really uh, no in-between gray area. Hello? Amen or oh me for y'all? Yes? Okay, there's no gray area. So really, Rob was here, and for most of us who had been here when Rob, you probably at some point got counseled by Rob because of the conviction we were under from Pastor Kat's preaching. And then every once in a while, Rob would actually preach, and he would kind of put together all the church again um, from us being on our knees in brokenness, which was needed. And then Rob would come back and kind of soothe us with his style of preaching. And then there was two guys that were on staff here that were incredible. Tony Hayes at that point, for all y'all remember Tony, and we could find him at one of two places, either at Purley's, which is still here, I saw, or we'd find him at the hospital because he was incredible at loving and caring and serving on people uh, and just, just loving people. And then there's David. I don't know if David gets to be in this one or not. David's here. He's the best looking old dude I've ever seen. You're in great shape, dude. I'm just I'm, I'm going to come back and try to do what you did because you look great. He doesn't look a day older. I'm not kidding y'all. He tells me he feels it, but he doesn't look a day older and I just want to compliment David, one, for his longevity here, but also for this. And I think the new, the, these guys who have been on staff with him for a long time can say this. He is the epitome of a staff member and has taught me truly about this, is how to serve. David, I, I think, probably in this church, has been in every single position that you could imagine, from children's to evangelism to missions to now doing counseling in, in the, uh, the Alpha Pregnancy Center, um, David thank you, you, you really did, um, you didn't just talk about what to do, you showed me uh, how, to, how to serve and you served the staff. He was always willing to help and to love that and for that I'll be forever grateful. This is home for me, um, I met my wife here Elizabeth um, O'Dell on Mayhall Road for all you Lee County people uh, and by the way uh, it doesn't look much different down May Hall though it does going out that way. Um, this is home. Uh, Michael, uh, really in my life, um, I, I call it became my seminary um, because in those days, which I do not know how in the world he does, I've got 30 more minutes left. I don't know how he does 30 minutes because in those days we were in here 50, 55 minutes and, and he wasn't even wanting to shut it down. He just had to because people you know, were kind of getting antsy at that point. But I would take notes and notes and not even look up, realizing what time it was. Why? Because he fed us the word of God. And your pastor feeds you the word of God, unapologetically. Uh, Sometimes it steps on our toes. Sometimes we're doing the oh me. But he feeds us the truth of the word of God. And in this day and time, we need the truth. And the Bible tells us that the truth is going to set us what? That's where we're going to have freedom is in the Word of God. It's not, it's not in, in trying to soften the gospel. It's not in trying to avoid the social issues that we see in the gospel. When we preach the gospel, we have to preach all of the gospel. And we have to preach all that the Bible says. And Michael did that for me, and he was what I call my seminary while I was here. Um, when we were talking, he, he simply gave me the opportunity to speak to you today Uh, about what I call the next generation and the next generation is simply this you guys as you as you're thinking about your church and what Sherwood is and and there's no doubt in fact I I enjoyed it this morning getting to see um I, I call them my kids but they're just not kids anymore they're they're actually the age I was when I was here and they have kids that are I got a little later start in life and some of their kids are my kids age which really makes me feel old thank you very much It's special, and it's fun to think about the good old days because they were good. But I'm just as excited about what God has in store for me. And I'm not not looking at what the old days were in in a sense of the blessing of that because I uh, counted a privilege, but I look forward to what God still wants to do. My greatest days are ahead of me, not behind me. What about you? Well, you don't understand my age or my circumstances or where I'm at. Then that's just your state of mind, and you're not allowing for God to do what he wants to do in you and through you. Because God's not finished. But by everything we see around us in the world, it sure seems like things are finished. It sure seems like things have turned. And they have. I I say this all the time. I think Michael was... What he would consider, and he says to you guys probably that he was a product of the '70s Jesus movement, right? He probably says that in some context that that's what happened. And in those days, in the state of Mississippi, there was a movement that happened with the young people, and and Michael got caught up in that and became a Christian and then called to ministry. And there was a movement, and that movement happened with young people. And honestly, I I think throughout the years, and I'm not sure of the legacy, and I'm not worried about the legacy or I appreciated the nice compliments by Stephen. I paid him a lot of money to say that. That's a joke. I didn't do that. I don't have money. I'm in ministry, if you all know how that works. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Why, why would Stephen say nice things? Well, there was a couple of reasons. One is, in that point in time in his life, Stephen's dad wasn't involved in his life. So he just had his mom, who was working all the time. And so I just happened to be a single guy who had a lot of time and liked sports, and Stephen happened to be a kid who played sports. And so I went to a bunch of sporting events and watched him and talked to him and said, hey, want to come to church? And his friends brought him to church and, and he'd get in trouble and I'd talk to him. And then it gave me an excuse to go eat with Stephen. And then if you all know Michael, it also gave me a checklist on my contact person that week. Chink. Why does that make an impact? You know why? Because it's life on life. It's real people doing real things and being engaged in somebody's life. Well, that was my job, and I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do that. But that was my job, but that's our job, is to be involved in people's lives. And so I want to share with you this morning about the next generation. I put this Opportunity Knocks as kind of a title for us, and I would just ask if if you have the opportunity to come back tonight, I'd love for you to come back tonight so I can share more of the ministry of what I do with Connect Ministries and what we're trying to do. But we're, we're trying to facilitate what's happening to this next generation. And the reason it's important to you, Sherwood Church, is because when you look at your church, at some point, these good old people in here start dying off. So where's the next generation? So this is titled Opportunity Knocks. Let me give you some statistics real quick to kind of get you caught up with with where we're at in the church and what that looks like. I continue to try to push myself to, to be cool as I'm getting older. But part of that is generationally. And we go like, well, why would you, why would you wear certain things in church? Or why do we do certain things and the way we do it? I asked Jim dress code and tried to figure out what that looked like. He goes, hey, it's a lot different than it used to be. And I'm glad. Because I had to wear a tie every Sunday. And I had to wear usually a suit every Sunday. And then, and then on Wednesdays, I actually had talked Michael into, hey, can I not wear a tie? And he goes, yes, but you still need to wear khakis. Okay. Well, when I go to the schools for lunch or things like that, can I wear blue jeans? He kind of goes, yes. That wasn't the way he did it. But times were also changing. And so when I came in this weekend, I was asking Steve and asking Jim. I didn't really ask John Spen- Spencer exactly dress code because I knew John would be, just kidding, John. What was the dress code? So I tried to hit everybody. I wore a starch shirt for Michael. I wore a blazer for you old school people in here that you know had to do the type of stuff. I wore blue, blue jeans, because Jim kind of said I could get away with that. And after seeing Mark, I can get away with that. It's <laughs> awesome, thank you Mark. Love that. Why would we make people feel comfortable to come to church? How about so they'll come to church? Now these, which I put over here, these were not to make you feel comfortable. It's because I can't see anymore and I have to look at my Bible to tell y'all stuff. But why would we do a dress code differently to reach people for the Lord? Why would we do music different, Mark, very different than what we did 25 years ago? Why would we integrate the way we do, the way worship happens, and what that looks like? Because we desire to continue to be attractive to people to come to church. But we also want to invite people so they'll come to church and feel comfortable. Now, why would we do that? Because we know when the Word of God is spoken, and we know when truth is saying, that the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, uses that to convict. And it's his job to convert those people as well. But why wouldn't we want that to be a place that they feel comfortable coming to church? And so we do things different. My dad told me this. My dad told me when he sat down, I was, I was, this was two days before I came here and before he died. And he said, Jonathan, you're going to think like me and you're going to minister like me to a certain extent because you're my son and you've grown up in this family but I am telling you to reach your generation and the generations after you're going to have to do things differently to reach them for Jesus meaning methodology it's not the compromise of the Bible it's not the compromise of the gospel it's not the compromise of Jesus it's not saying things like well we're not sure if hell is really real or not it's real and by the way for any of you questioning it you're going to be there for about one second and know that it's real and that heaven's real and what the Bible tells us is real. If we just want to pick and choose what we want to out of the Bible, what we end up doing is we pick and choose what I want my religion to be. So I might as well start a church of Beasley. It's the church of Jesus. It's the church of God, the God, the one and only God. And he says that there is only one way that you and I come to him. And that's by his son, Jesus. On the way, truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but what? By me, Jesus. So I want to give you these stats, and I want these to soak into your heart. Not to be depressing, not to be frustrating, because I think it's our greatest opportunity in our nation to see God do a work again. So here's the stats on the Millennials. The Millennials are simply this, people that were born between the, eight, between the years 1980 to 2000. This is from the Southern Baptist Convention. Millennials basically um, represent <coughs> that eight, that kind of group. Now sometimes it's a mentality, so you might kind of bend on the front side of that and bend on the back side of that, but here they are, There's Millennials. In America, we guys here are in the Bible Belt, so we're not going to call us typical America, but what we will call us is we'll call us people that used to go to church, right? 16% of millennials go to church on a regular basis, and the regular basis is this, two out of four Sundays. 16% in America as a whole of that age group go to church on a regular basis. Chip Ingram, who's a pastor out of California, uh, did a survey amongst the millennials, and And this is the survey that he came up with. Out of that survey, 94% of them said that they were open to hearing about Jesus Christ. 94% of this age group that doesn't go to church very much says that they're open to hearing about Jesus Christ. Now, I would tell you this. They're open to about everything. They're open to Jesus. They're open to Allah. They're open to, you name it, they're open to Burger King. they're, They're open to anything. Sorry, I just kind of went off on that. They're open to anything. But they are open to Jesus. Now to give context to this for for us in here, according to where you were and when you grew up, if only 16% of them are going to church on a regular basis and that only being two out of four Sundays because we're really busy and we have a lot of activities. Hello? If that's the case, but they're open to Jesus, listen, the Millennials, by 6 million people, by 6 million people are the largest people group ever that have existed in America. They beat the baby boomers by 6 million people. How much effect did the baby boomers have in America? Had on our economy, had on everything, because there were so many. This age group Beats the baby boomers by 6 million people. Okay, are you getting the picture? There's a lot of them. What's that going to affect? That's going to affect real estate. That's going to affect cars. That's going to affect everything in this nation. Because there's so many of them. What else is it gonna, should it affect? It should affect our churches. I said should. Why? Because there's so many of them. However, only 16% of them go to church, which is a drop from the age group above that, which was around 42%. And then for the old-timers in here, which I get to be a part of that group, Generation X and older, we, we were well over 50%. And by the way, y'all know this, just because we go to church doesn't mean that we're really a follower of Christ. Ouch. Ouch but we go to church, especially in the South. 94% of them said, we're open to hearing about Jesus. That same survey, Chip asked this question, and this was the response. Have you ever heard about Jesus? And here was the response. 93% of them said that they knew someone that called themselves a Christian, but never told them about Jesus. You all hear what I'm saying there? 94% said they're open to Jesus. 93% of that same group said that they knew someone that called themselves a Christian but never told them about Jesus. Anything goes. We don't want to step on anybody's toes. We're nervous about how to be politically correct when we talk about Jesus. And yet, we could have the greatest impact in this nation. The greatest number of people could come to know Jesus with these couple of generations. Ever in America, Jesus movement all over again. If we're willing to just love on them and reach them. John Wesley said this, Give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin. And what I'm asking God for in my time of getting to be here and uh, such a privilege to be back home is simply this. He said 100 preachers. I'm just asking God for 100 people from this church that would fear sin, that would start praying. God, use us. Do something in us. Because 100 people in this size church, God could use to change the whole church setting as well as this city and by the way he's done that before and I still believe he's doing it here I just want to remind you that there's a new generation that needs you they desire you 72 percent of college students said that they would like someone to invest in their lives other than their parents it doesn't mean that their parents are discounted it means they're off at college and they would like to have some adult that would be in their life now they're a little entitled hello, they're a little bit, well, of course I should have a one-on-one adult in my life. But 72% of them said, I would love to have that. How many of us would be willing to invest, and we would call it mentoring, that's code for the church for disciple, hello, to mentor a college student? yo, Jonathan, that's not really where I'm at my age. This isn't what's going on. I've got grandkids. I've got kids. Just hang with me. Then we get down to how many kids in college. So Campus Crusade's statistic this last year, Campus Crusade is a ministry that just works with, it's a prayer church ministry that works just with college students. And in their survey, across America, they came up with this, that only 6% of college students go to church on a regular basis. So we have the millennials at 16% and then we drop to 6% of college students going to church on a regular basis, don't raise your hands, any of y'all who went to college remember how you were in high school versus how you went to college, in fact some of you probably met your spouse at a party, Brad house, sorority house. Are just a certain place on the street. Because when we get off to college, we don't have mom and dad waking us up to go to church, asking us if we did go to church. We become responsible for ourselves and there's a change. The stat on seniors in high school to seniors in college that go to church is simply this, 5%. Now listen to this part, 88% drop out of going to church between their senior year in high school and their senior year in college, 88% of students who went to church their senior year in high school here by their senior year in college drop out of going to church. If you're one of those why people, which is my wife, why are they doing that? What's happening? what's happening is lots of other opportunities and we as the church don't really look like we're doing anything different in the church we're just doing the same old same old stuff we've always did and obviously it looks like we're God's chosen frozen instead of doing something that's really making a difference in people's lives what do we do with it? So those are the stats about them. Let me give it from a business standpoint. If you are a McDonald's owner, and there's a group of people that are not buying your hamburgers for four to six years, what would you do? I'm going to offer a breakfast menu all day long now. I'm going to come up with some new hamburger selections. I'm going to make the chicken nuggets better instead of the mystery meat. By the way, they buy Tyson's, which is out of Arkansas, which is where I'm from, so buy the Nuggets. That helps my ministry. Why? Because if you lose a group of people, no matter what your product is, for four to six years, you've lost them. Hey, church, guess what we're doing in the church? And and I'm not going to pick on your church. I'm just saying, guess what we do in the church? In the church, if we look at where our budget is spent on crib, about 17 years old you can see how much money and you can track it how much we spend at Sherwood Church on that if we want to track how much money we spend on a 17 year old to a 27 year old which is usually that college age for guys like me and Steven we tried to squeeze four years into seven or eight how long did it take you okay good I, I was I was in the five to six year range myself I'm just talking about money if we look at what we do in the church in that same age group, y'all, it's, it's a drop-off. So how do we figure that we're going to continue to minister and love and care for those age groups when, when we're not doing anything to show that? It's like we're patting them and saying, hey, hope you make it. Call me if you need me. Many of us as parents, and I'm not pointing out any certain university, Elizabeth ended up, I think she... Had a couple of years here at Darton and then transferred to Georgia's, where she went. So this isn't a slam. It's just this. is We're going to drop off our kids and we're going to drop them off most of the time at a university. And I'm going I'm to pick on the public ones. We're going to drop them off at a university. We're going to pat them on the rear and say, hey, I'm dropping you off to the most liberal place you've ever been in your life. Call me if you need me. And that's what we do. Hope they're grounded in the Lord. Hope that Garrett did all he was supposed to do while he was the youth pastor in their life so they'll make it up there. But what do we do to pass the baton? What are we doing to help them to understand that? What do we do to make a difference? So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start out in Luke 9.23. You'll be familiar with this passage probably. Luke 9.23, and I'm going to give you some points, so if you're a note-taker, you can create this with us. Opportunity Knox is the title, and Luke 9.23 says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give, it up, give up your life for my sake, you will what? You will save it. To be a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ, we must first this. Abandon ourselves to him. You probably remember the story about the rich, the rich young ruler. Let me give you a scripture reference here out of Matthew. And this is Matthew 6.25. If you want to put it in your notes, it says this. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake, you will. Will save it. The rich young ruler was posed with that question Lord, I want to follow you. Well, here's what you need to do to follow me abandon it all, follow me. Hey, listen, I do want to follow you, but I got to take care of some business. I got to take care of some family matters, and then I got some work matters that I got, and then I'll follow you. But we see just the opposite with John right? Good old fishermen, man they were they were doing their deal fishing and it says that they left (laughs) they left their fishing vessel they left all that it was and they followed Jesus and so the first thing that we have to do if we're going to really reach the next generation you guys is we have to abandon ourselves to Christ that means in our church here at Sherwood that you and i have to look at how we do all the dressing and all that kind of stuff and then we look at the worship and we look at what's what we're doing here and we have to say this what are my personal preferences and then what are we doing to reach the people outside of this building because really reaching the people outside of this out of this building might make some of us uncomfortable it might be difficult when we start looking at the rest of the community why Because it's messy. Listen. When we really get down with each other's lives, (laughs) you guys here in Albany are messy. Now we feel a little bit better about ourselves up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But we have, you know, that's the home of Walmart. Thank you. Largest retailers in the world. That's the home of J.B. Hunt, Tyson Chicken, which now... Owns another meat group, which now they're the largest meat, and so we you know we've got it together. And yet the divorce rate in Northwest Arkansas is one of the highest divorce rate rates in all of the nation. In Northwest Arkansas, they got money, and yet their divorce rate is high. The pressure on the kids in Northwest Arkansas just because of kind of who their parents are and how they hang out and what they do. And every kid's got to be succeeding in every sport, and so they have personal trainers. Hello? Uh, you know, I, when I was six years old, I was playing football in the backyard, not the organized thing three times a week over here in Lee County. Hello? Well, it's not what it used to be. It's not. I agree with that. Our kids are going to do it, but what are you going to do to push into that culture? Can, can you do a Bible study for the team? Can you talk to the coach and, and lead in a chapel or even prayer? I'm not saying that we're going to change the whole culture of America, but what I can say is that Jesus can change people, which then helps change culture. And Jesus can do that. Tonight I'm going to be speaking on the power of one. And that's what we're going to talk about is what Jesus can do in you and through you. And he says to us that just like the rich young ruler, abandon ourselves to Christ. Let me ask you this question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of this morning that if you gave everything up to the Lord and did what he wants you to do, Man, he might do this. When I was a kid, I was afraid of if I really surrendered to the Lord and did everything he wanted me to do, that he was going to call me to missions. And then I'd be one of those guys that would come up about every three years with a slideshow. This is the Amazon. (laughs) We're really making a difference for the Lord out there. That's me and, and that's what I thought. And yet those people who are missionaries sacrificing everything that we enjoy here to give their life to go tell a people group about the greatest thing that could ever change their life which is Jesus but I was afraid of that I was afraid to start connect ministries because at my age and where my kids are I'm about to have three kids in college pretty soon and I was going like for the first time in my life I wasn't paid by an offering in a church but I was out raising my support to take care of my family and the ministry that we started going like, Lord, couldn't you have told me to do this when I was younger? He has a plan. He knows. What was my biggest fear? My biggest fear was, Lord, how how am I going to do this? And he brought me to the scripture and he goes, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. What do I think I'm helping Jesus do? What I think I'm a part of? Abandon myself and not be afraid of what he wants to do. The second thing we need to do is obey Christ. Philippians 1.21 tells us this. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for him. He tells us this in John 14.15. If you love me, obey my what? My commandments. So we abandon everything and then we obey him. To die is to live. And if you love me, you're going to obey what? My commandments. And then he tells us this in the book of Acts. This is not a reference to David. Listen to this. This is not a reference for David. For after David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed what does that tell us? He served his generation. We obey Christ by doing what he tells us to do. And what I'm talking to you about today is that it's not just about you and your generation. It's about the generation after you. It's about what's next in this church. Y'all remember the movie where the phrase was, pay it forward. We need to pay it forward for the next generation. They're not getting it on their own. I was talking to um, someone just before this service and the thought came to me about this, that, that when we think about the next generation, they're not getting it on their own, so we have to stand in the gap for them. We have to pray for them. We have to do our part for them because it doesn't seem that they're doing it for themselves. Why? Because they don't know. If only 15% of them as millennials are going to church and even less of that as college students, how are they going to know the Word of God? How are they going to know about Jesus? How are they going to know if we don't tell them? They're not just going to drive by the church here and go, man, that's a great steeple. Wow, that is a really cool sign that tells all the events coming up. I think I'll pull in there because I'm lost and listen to that guy, Schultz. Mark, is that whose name? Who's coming to concert? Yeah, I'm just going to pull in because I really know who that is. They're not going to do that. We have to go to them. We have to be engaged in their lives. We have to help them to understand. So we abandon ourselves to Christ, we obey Christ, and here's the last one. It sets us up for tonight, is we act by faith. It's doing what Christ tells us to do in acts he tells us this let me find it for you uh it's not Acts. sorry this is first samuel he tells us this but the lord said to samuel don't judge by his appearance or his height for i have rejected him the lord doesn't see things the way you see them people judge by outward appearance but the lord looks at what the heart Listen to this, Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for for they could see that these were ordinary men with no special training in the Scripture. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So this morning, Sherwood Church... If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you're saved, if you're born again, whatever term that you have is that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus. That if you were to die that you were going to heaven. If you have that, you have a story. You have a story to tell. Well, Jonathan, I I haven't taken that course to tell me how to share that. It doesn't matter, you have a story to tell because Jesus came into your life and he changed your life from what you were to what you could be and what you are. Amen? So you have a story. You have a story to be able to have influence on your own family. You have a story to have influence at your work. You have a story. And that story is about Jesus and how He changed and transformed your life. You see, it's not just about you, it's about the next generation. It's about the people that we're out there with. And acting on faith gets us to that place. I would say that you either have to lead, you have to join if you're not sure about that, or you need to get out of the way. Lead, join, or get out of the way. Because God is is telling us to act in faith. That John Wesley quote, Lord, give me... 100. Lord, would you just give us 100 people that say we'll seek him, we'll ask him, we'll trust him with what he wants to do. Now how does that translate to you guys at Sherwood and what I'm doing with Connect Ministries and, and what's happening here? It's, it's, it's fairly simple in, in my part. You guys actually have a town that recently, and this is how I appealed to Michael about this, you guys recently had the merger of Albany State and Darton. And there's plenty of issues that go along with that. The great news, I don't live here, so I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. But here's what I can tell you about the issues. There's college students over there that need Jesus. 72% of them say that they would be willing to have a mentor. 94% of them say that they'd be willing to hear about Jesus. So who's going to tell them? Hey, let's let, let some other church tell them. That's uncomfortable or it's kind of messy in our city. We're not sure how to do all that. That's not faith. That's not trusting God for, uh, if Michael still uses this phrase, does he still use the hymn possibles? That's not a hymn possible by just going, we're going to leave it alone and not approach it. So what are we going to do about that? What are you going to do about the opportunity for students to have life change While they're at college, that could have an impact, truly, it could have an impact on this whole state, if not whole region in the South, if God did something at that college. Amen? I'm I'm doing that with a question. I'm not sure. I believe God could do a hymn possible, going like, Jonathan, man, really, did you have to just pull that one out? I mean, we've got all kinds of other great things that we're doing. You do. You do. This church does great work all around the world. You don't even have to go around the world. You could just go down the street and you guys can have impact. You know there's even international students that go here to school that could go back to their homeland and have an impact. Let me end with this statement. People either make things happen watch things happen wonder what happened what kind of person are you going to be you see this morning you guys my heart is obviously for this age group that needs Jesus more than anything but even as I have a passion and a burden for that age group I have a passion and a burden for each one of you to abandon yourself to what God says for you to do, to start obeying that, and then there's a critical step is that we have to act in faith, and that's trusting Him would you bow your heads with me please this morning there's going to be pastors up here to talk to you if you have a decision to make some of you have been drawn to this church and you believe it's time that you join this church and they're here to talk to you about that, some of you need to be baptized. You've watched what's been happening in the baptism and, and the Lord has pricked your heart, and you're going like, I need to follow up with that. Some of you this morning have heard this message and you're not sure what to do with it. You're not sure, how am I supposed to reach the next generation? You know what? It might be just teaching youth Sunday school for Garrett. It might be doing something in the children's ministry. Well, Why is that important? because it's the future of the church that's the age group that's the future of the church if I asked a question of you this morning you don't have to raise your hands if I ask the question how many of you know a college student in fact I'll just ask you to without anybody looking around would you just raise your hand If you know a college student, just raise your hand if you know one. Okay? Y'all, that's the majority of the people in here. You can put your hands down. If you know a college student, this is what I'm asking you to do today for them. For one year, whoever that college student is in your mind, it might even be your own son or daughter or grandson or daughter or it might be a friend, whoever that student is that you just thought of, Would you pray for them the next year that God would do something in their life that would make a difference for Christ? Would you pray for them for one year that God would do something in their life? And as a church, would you commit to praying, Lord, what would you have us do to reach the students at Albany State. What's my place? What's my part? What does that look like? How do we start building those bridges? Because they're not just gonna drive by here and drop in on church on a Sunday morning. Lord, would you take these next few moments, if there's something that you have pierced our hearts with from this morning's message, would you let that resonate and sit with us in such a way that we have to talk to you about it? Lord, would you just let us right now, if we know that college student, can we pray for that college student right now and what's going on in their life for this next year? And God, whatever you want to do for this church to reach the next generation, would you allow for leadership to rise up and to begin that process of looking forward and thinking what you want us to do. God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for the privilege of coming home and being able to share with this church. I ask God that you would bless this church. In your name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us, please? We'll just take a few moments for invitation. These men are up here up front to pray with you, to talk to you about a decision that you've made.